Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. That's how nuanced the multiculturalism is here. I think because of that, you get these communities that are cooking for themselves. They're not cooking for the masses. They're not cooking for the white man. What we get to experience is as close to authenticity as possible. Hi, I'm Helen Holliman, Editor-in-Chief of Munchies, and welcome back to Munchies, the podcast. So we've left New York City, and we've just touched down in Canada. This is going to be the first of two episodes that we're recording in beautiful Toronto. There are over 140 different languages spoken here, and it's one of the most diverse cities in the world. The government recognizes 200 distinct ethnic groups living within the city's borders. In food terms, that translates to incredible things to eat. And that level of diversity also leads to some really awesome cultural combinations. Today, we're meeting up with Nick Chenyan, chef and owner of a barbecue joint called Smoke Signals. Nick was born here in Toronto. His parents are second generation Chinese and they were both born and raised in Jamaica. And he's toured the southern United States, including my hometown of Austin, Texas, to come up with his own personal style of barbecue that combines his family's heritage with the best of the American South. In essence, this is Canadian barbecue. Uh, I am Nick Chen Yin. You are at Smoke Signals Barbecue in the heart of Little Portugal. In Canada. In, in Canada. Yeah, in Canada. Yeah. Texas barbecue in Canada. You made this? Yeah, I built it. So this is like the, this is the latest like version or like the latest like iteration of my smoker builds. So. Can you describe what we're looking at? Because it kind of looks like a bomb. <laughs> I, I like to think it looks like a Mexican semi-submersible, <laughs> you know, like going to transport some cocaine in it. Um, no, it's like it's actually a typical or what we most would consider like a typical like offset smoker or offset pit you know, that like a lot of the guys in Texas use, um, which is a refurbished thousand gallon water tank. Um, and then so you take a thousand gallon water tank, you cut your doors into it, you weld your firebox on, you have your chimney stack. It's you know, all the like a lot of the guys in Austin have it, like Aaron Franklin, John Lewis, who's in, in Charleston right now. Um, you know, it's a very common, <laughs> common uh, style smoker, affectionately called a stick burner. Does she have a name? <laughs> it's a lady? Yeah. 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 It's like, I'll say it, but you have to like, you have to use your discretion on whether you want to edit it out or not. Okay. So we call, like, when we when we made it, well, well when I made it, I was like, oh, we got to name her. And, and my friend was just like, 
And I'm like, yes. I don't know if we should go public with that. Yeah, I'll, I'll cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what do we have in here? That's the voice of Nick Rose, our Canadian staff writer. Um, we have right now, we have briskets are still on. Spare ribs are still on. Um, pork shoulder is on there. And in a, maybe in a couple hours, they'll, they'll throw chicken on. And then, and then later on, they'll do sausage. So everything has its different temperatures that they cook at. And like that's the one different thing with like cooking barbecue than doing it in your backyard, at least for our, our capacity. Like Aaron Franklin doesn't have these problems. Like he, has, he builds smokers for certain proteins, right? And like, but I mean, like his case is very rare. Like not every barbecue smokehouse is, is doing what Aaron Franklin is doing. Um, so the one thing that you have to be mindful of is the temperatures that what your proteins cook at. And because you're controlling your fire, uh, you try to find this balance of where like you can cook briskets at and ribs and like pork shoulder and then get either increase the temperature or decrease the temperature so that you can cook other proteins. I'm just thinking of the Billy Joel song, We Can't Stop the Fire. I just picture you out here, like, listening to it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. That's going on the kitchen playlist. I gotta tell those guys to play that. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, that's good. That's good. Ten hour loop. We'll give you credit. Um, What what kind of wood do you use? Uh, Right now we're using a mix of ash and oak. Um... Oak has, they're two woods that burn really hot, really clean. Um, They last a long time. They're plentiful here in Ontario. So ash more so than oak. Oak oak can be like a tad bit expensive, but it's far more dense than than ash. So, and it gives, and the ash gives it a flavor profile that I like that oak doesn't. Oak is a bit too clean, in my opinion. It's maybe not as spicy as post oak like post oak has a little bit more spice a little bit more i don't know how to describe it when you smell when you smell post oak being burnt you're kind of like this is what barbecue smells like when you burn like let's say canadian like red oak or white oak it smells more, it smells like sweet. You know, it's like, it smells like we're burning a wine barrel. That's what it smells like, you know? And like, I like that. I really like that. But you're, you're not just doing Texas barbecue. No, we're not. And like, that's one thing that I was like really cognizant of when setting this up was that although I was trained in Texas, like I worked in Texas at some of the, the, the places down there, I wanted to sort of take the best elements of each like region uh, of the southern states and then incorporate it into like the menu up here. And then also even just take stuff that are like sort of barbecue oriented like around the world and like incorporate them here. It's I, I didn't really want to pigeonhole it to like one type of barbecue. Can you maybe describe some of that? Yeah, I mean you know, for instance, like we we always wanted to do a wings. Like I remember when we were starting up, like designing the menu, and we we're like we always wanted to do a wings, and like we could never really figure out like a good, like what was a good wing to do. And I didn't want like here. Let me take it back a bit. Like I kind of hate how a lot of like barbecue spots and pitmasters 
they'll basically use one rub for all their proteins, right? Like it's like they'll have beef brisket, beef ribs, spare ribs, baby backs, chicken, and they'll use like one rub or a derivative of that one rub for everything. So everything just ends up tasting like, you know, beef brisket, but it's pork and chicken, but it's, you know, it tastes like spare ribs. So I was like, I want every protein to stand out on its own. And with the wings, I was sort of like, well, how can we do this like really interesting? So then we started playing around with it, started going to like different like restaurants. And then um, my, uh, my friend and who is also my GM here, Paul, he's like, why don't we try doing it like how they do in Thailand and brining the wings in, in fish brine? And I was like, why not? So we brined them in fish brine, smoked them, and then that kind of created, like, it took its natural evolution, and then we're just like, okay, let's make a fish glaze, let's, let's garnish it with lemongrass, cilantro, peanuts, add some chili peppers in there, and it's like, it's really, it seems incongruent to what we're doing, but if you really think deeper, it actually makes sense, because, like, when you look at everything else, it it's like naturally incongruent to like barbecue. Like I said, it's like we do pulled pork from like the Carolina style, like not like how Texans do pulled pork. So that's why I really wanted to like, you know, just pull elements from different regions. And I mean, like our coleslaw is like, it's like a tropical coleslaw. It's got fucking pineapple and mint in there, you know? So I don't know. It's just, I found it. It's like, I didn't want to constrict ourselves to just like this silo. Like, I was, I truly believe that you can pull elements from different regions and, like, just incorporate it and make something cool. And there's jerk chicken, right? And there's jerk chicken, which I only do every, like, every now and then. And, like, the main reason is that my mom, it's up on the record, I just straight up ripped off my mom's recipe, jerk (laughs) chicken recipe. And I'm like, I think that's one of the beauties of having like recipes that are kept in the family that you can actually just like with confidence to say like, I, I just stole it from my mom. Like I just stole it. And then we added our elements, like our cooking process and our preparation to it. But every time she tries it, like I read her reaction and if it's not like overjoyed I get this sense of like I did mom wrong and then I just scratch it off the menu and then I keep working on it and then I'll bring it back how many times have you had to take the jerk chicken off the menu because of your mom three times the first time I did it the first time I took her recipe and I made it and like you know people were like oh this is great this is delicious and then I got her to try it she just was like yeah it's good I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? It's just good? And she's like, yeah, it's, it's good. And then she started like, you know, I would, one thing I would think about doing, I was like, I don't want to hear it. And it like, <laughs> the thing is, I couldn't pull it off at that point. Like I had to roll with it. It was made. It was like, we're already about like, you know, everything was ready to go for service. But it fucked with me. Like I had such a, like just a complex that day. Like, I was just, like, looking at it. I'd, like, stare at the chicken, like, almost expecting it to, like, talk back to me to tell me what was wrong with it. And I was just, like, after this service, we're not, we're not doing it. We're just, like, killing it. And then it came back once more after that. 
and again I kept looking at it and I'm like it's not where I want it to be it's and, and I think a lot of that has also to do with like the standard that my mom kind of has about it and it's maybe it's subconscious that I have that same standard as well but I'm just yeah wait so what in your mind makes great jerk chicken up here like if you go to like little Jamaica they don't like they don't smoke it they're just grilling it and it, it lacks that depth and I think that was like a really good selling point for us um but yeah, like it just should be juicy and tender and like it should just punch you in the face. Like it's not a dish that is just like, this is good. It should be like, holy fuck, this is like, this is making my mouth burn, but it's also so good. And it's like, it's, it's just like savory. Um, it sounds like you're synthesizing a lot of different culinary cultures here. Yeah, yeah. It, it <laughs> I was like... Wait, was that a question or is that like, are you judging me? <laughs> let me let me rephrase it. I, I think, I think Toronto's biggest strength food-wise is is its multiculturalism, and it seems like this restaurant is kind of an embodiment of that, and you are an embodiment of that. One hundred percent, man. It's like you know, Toronto. I think I always tell people when they like have never been to Toronto, and always topic of food, right? I'm like, listen, the one thing that Toronto has that a lot of other cities in North America don't have is this like like vast group of like multicultural like pockets, right? And the thing is, I mean, you could, you could get really academic on this, but like these pockets you know are unique in the Canadian fabric as opposed to the American fabric is that they, I think in Canadian culture, like immigrants here are like encouraged to like, no, we want your culture to shine through. It's not like in the U S where like nationalism and assimilation is like a big thing, right? It's like, you're either with us or against us here. It's like, it's like, no, we respect the fact that you're Bangladeshi or you're Sri Lankan or that you're like not even Sri Lankan here man people like know like you're educated enough to know that they're like they're not Sri Lankan they're Tamils right like that's how nuanced it, the multiculturalism is here and I think because of that you get these communities that are cooking for themselves they're not cooking for the masses they're not cooking for the white man right they're cooking for themselves and you get what we get to experience is as close to authenticity as possible. And as a cook, I'm like, why wouldn't you want to take advantage of that? You know, like I did this interview with like the CBC a few months ago and they were just like, what, what's Canada's, what would you say Canada's like best kept food secret is? And I'm like, the multicultural grocery stores in Scarborough? Like I can drive 20 minutes and go to like a handful of different grocery stores and pick up like kefir lime leaves, galangal, you know, um, dried like fish curries, like Sinhalese fish curries. Um, then you can go get like Malaysian food and get northern or western Chinese food, northern Chinese food, Cantonese Chinese food. And it's just like, why as a cook wouldn't you want to take advantage of that? Going back to your parents, I mean, do you feel like in a way you're actually carrying on like a family tradition? Because I know you mentioned your dad has, you know, 
his own way of doing jerk and your mom has her own way of doing jerk. And like, did you ever make that? I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Connection or is it coincidence? I think it's, I don't know. It, it might be a little, it, it's, it's coincidental maybe. Um, but it's also like, I'm very aware like how I was raised with food and what food is supposed to mean. And subconsciously or consciously, I take that, those values and apply them to the restaurant. Like there is no, it's no coincidence that this space, it's like very casual, right? It's like, it's communal seating. It's like get in where you fit in and it's kind of funny early on the confrontations that we would have with certain diners that just did not want to sit beside, like we're sitting at a six top. Right. And sometimes there'd be like, we have a couple come in. I'm like, just share a table. There's an end. Right. I'm like, no, we don't want that. I'm like, okay, well you have to wait then until something comes up. We don't want to wait. I'm like, just, just sit and like talk to someone you don't know, get to know them. Right. Like it's a community. And like, that's kind of how, that's what food was in my family was just an opportunity to get together and just like shoot the shit, like let your hair down. It's not stuffy. It's not pretentious. It's not like there's no constructs. It's just have fun. So maybe in that sense, but in the actual, like the food dishes, like in actual, like the menu and the preparation, I'd say maybe not so much. I think as we evolve, I start to realize like there's certain things that my parents or mainly my mom does like how she cooks or my grandmother how she cooks which just doesn't make fucking sense i'm like i don't know why you do it that way and their only thing is just like that's how we've been doing it for like 30 odd years can you give us an example so i cooked that dish like that pork and ham choy dish with my grandmother right and she was sort of like she was like okay so what you're gonna do is you're gonna put water in a pan like, you know, two cups of water in a pan, and then you're going to put the raw meat in the pan, and we're going to brown it like that, right? And then put your sauces in. I'm like, okay, like, why wouldn't you just put oil, like, brown it like how you're supposed to brown it. Put oil in there, brown your meats, like, and then and then slowly braise it. And then, like, she would just, like, and you know, in her Jamaican accent, she's like, she's like, I don't know. It's just how I've done for 30 years, you know. Just like, you know, it's just like, no. If you if you put oil, it become too greasy, right? And I'm just like, I'm like, but it doesn't make sense. Like you, like it doesn't make sense. Like you're kind of boiling this meat, and she's just like, she's like, me no no Nick. He's like, been doing it for like 60 odd years, and I'm just like, okay, fair enough, right? Fair enough, like. What do I, I made that dish maybe like five times and you've been doing it for fucking like 50, 60 years. Okay, let's just do it how you do it. And surely enough, it turns out like when the dish is done, 
it's like, whoa, this is like, yes, this is how it's supposed to taste. This is what I remember, right? But it's just like those certain cooking techniques and then like when she puts like, you're supposed to put like the mustard greens, like chopped mustard greens and her like, her chops are like really rough, like rustic, right? Like that's the word, rustic, right? And I'm like, they're just like big stalks. You know, if I were to do this, I'd julienne them like really fine because some of the stalks are really hard to like eat. But my mom goes like, that's the difference though between home cooking and what you would serve at the restaurant. And that's why home cooking, I think, like resonates so well with people. It's not because it's perfect. It because it draws on memory, right? It, it conjures up memory. And sometimes those imperfections are what like spurs memory. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. Like it's a really good point. But I was still like, you're boiling meat. Ham choy and pork is mustard greens and pork belly. And it seems like kind of like the hot quote equivalent of uh, collard greens and pork shoulder, let's say. 100%. And like when you actually, if you start to think about it, even in like, if, like if you actually want to get in like in depth on like the history of it, where you think about it, right? Like, okay, it's a poor person's dish, right? It's a, like a peasant dish. So you have the mustard greens, which are pickled, preserved, um, its main ingredient or sauce ingredient, its flavor is black bean, fermented black beans. So another preservation technique uh, we talked about. We wondered if the pork, like we're using fresh cuts of pork now, but we wonder if the pork historically was smoked and cured, like because like you wouldn't have access to fresh pork uh, back then. And even when you think about like the cuts of pork that we use, it's pork belly, pork shoulder, pork ribs, like cheap cuts of meat, historically cheap cuts of meat, not cheap anymore. Um, so it's like you start to really see like the origins of that dish. It's like it really is fucking just peasant food. You always hear those stories how the like grandmothers, like Italian nonos, can tell if there's like not enough salt and tomato <laughs> sauce just by like the smell in the kitchen, right? And it's like it that, that shit that my grandmother did when she did with the hand and pork. She even commented. She's like She's like sitting on her walker, chopping mustard greens, and she's like, I think you should add a little bit more soy in there. I'm like, okay, how did you get that, you know? But yeah, you, you train those senses. It's really important. Like, I think having a, a, a hybrid of like, you know, weighing out everything and like getting your weights, therming everything, like, that's great. It definitely is good in terms of, like, a restaurant capacity because you're trying to maintain consistency. But, like, I think what really excites cooks is just being able to cook. Like, just cook, right? And, like, that's what cooking is, using your senses, right? Not just, like, following, okay, it's like, here's this time, here's this weight, you know? Here's this temp. Any pit master, like the sleeping schedule of what people have to experience in Texas or Jamaica, whatever, like you have some late nights and you have weird sleeping patterns. Like, have you experienced that? Like, I think so many people have this romantic notion of barbecuing, right? And like, you hear the stories like late nights and tending the fires and cooking with fire. And it's like, and it comes out magical. But like, you don't know what it's like until you do it, what it feels like to fucking start working at 11 p.m. and finish, you know, at like 9 a.m., 10 a.m. And 
every cook here went through that process and they're like, it's a grind. It will like, it will crush you. Um, so it, I, it was really important for me to like have everyone like, it was like, first thing I'm going to do is train everyone on how to use a smoker. Like, this is what you need to do to learn how to build a fire. This is what you need to do to control your temps. This is how you check your proteins and rotate them. Right. Because if you don't rotate them, you're going to burn someone out and they're just going to be, they're done. Um, but the irony is like, I remember like, I forget who said it. One of the pit masters down South said it. It's like, it's like, it's a lazy cooking. It's like, it's slow. Cook. It's like the laziest form of cooking. And it is in a sense that you, you, you're not really doing anything. You're not like, you know, you hear all these barbecue cliches like low and slow. If you're looking, you're not cooking. Right. And it, and there's truth behind it. Like you don't want to be opening your doors up all the time because your heat is escaping and it's just adding to your cook time. So all you're really doing there is like stoking the fire and making sure it's like an even consistent temperature. And I think that's where the romanticism of like bar backyard barbecue is where you can do that crush some beers, you know, check on it. Oh, it's a beautiful brisket. And maybe if you're in your fucking backyard, but if you're doing that every single day and there's an expectation of consistency, then there's far more attention to detail and then there's far more focus, which exhausts you even more. So I found it really odd. Like, like there's this whole notion that it's a slow and lazy cooking, which it is in a way but it has its own set of problems when you're doing it commercially. And then you have, and then like while you're doing that, then you have winter and snow and ice and rain and like wind on top of that. And like a lot of people don't like experiencing that waiting 10 minutes for the goddamn bus. Like, so can you imagine experiencing that for like 10 hours of your shift? Right? So I think there's like a romantic notion and then there's reality and the experience that I had was like, okay, we're not in Austin. Like, like we're not like when it hit, like when it's February, it's not going to be like at its lowest zero degrees Celsius. It could get down to like minus 15 and snow. And we got to figure out a way to maintain that consistency through. Granted, in the summer, it doesn't get to like 103 degrees Fahrenheit, so. <laughs> and, and no one's like, oh my God, I need to be in air conditioning or like at Barton Springs right now, you know? Yeah. It sounds like you have to be a little bit crazy to be doing such authentic barbecue in Toronto. Oh yeah, I mean, I think you have to be, you're crazy doing barbecue regardless. It's, it's stupid. It's actually the stupidest form of cooking, right? Like, I think there's been so many chefs, like, when, even when you think about whole hog, like, it's actually been proven that there's a far better way of cooking a pig as opposed to a whole pig, right? It's breaking it down into its primals and cooking them each individually because, like, each part needs, like, a different temperature. So it's actually, like, a really dumb form of cooking. And then on top of that, like, in a restaurant setting... You're investing so many man hours into it. So that's labor costs. And then, you know, oh, yeah, you're a restaurant. So you pay like hydro, you pay electricity, you pay like gas. And we also pay wood. Like we go through we go through about. I don't know, about maybe two or three bush cords a month. 
which equates to roughly, I mean, it depends. It, it can equate to about like anywhere between three to six trees. No, sorry, like five to six trees a month. So it's like you're breaking down your wood, you're cooking it, and you're trying to like maintain consistency. Like that's the, the dark arts of barbecue and what makes barbecue good is maintaining that consistent temperature through the entire cook. And that's what's so hard about it is that that consistency is hard. And the one thing that you have fighting you that you cannot control is mother nature. So like a cook today will be very different than a cook tomorrow because the humidity will be different, the wind will be different, the temperature will be different. The only way you are gonna achieve the, the flavor profiles and the texture that barbecue has is if you do it this way. There is no other way. You cannot replicate it. You cannot use wood chips. You cannot use wood pellets. But like, so that's kind of the only thing that drives you which is dumb and crazy. Um, I think that's also the beautiful thing about barbecue, which is maybe somewhat lost, at least on the diners here in Toronto. I know not so much in Austin, is that barbecue is inconsistent. Some days it'll be amazing, other days it'll be, it'll be okay. Like, I don't think barbecue in Austin, like there's been very, very few places in Austin I've gone to where like barbecue was really bad. But like you can go to like some of your favorite places and it'll be like one day it will be amazing and the other day will be like it'll just be okay. And actually I love like John Miller, who I don't think he operates anymore. God bless his soul. Yeah. God bless John Miller. I, I hope you're doing well. But like that's one of the things that he's always said. He's like, that's barbecue. Someday it's amazing. Someday it's not. And that's just barbecue. And like, that's kind of the cliche that I roll with, but it's true. It, and I, I think I love that about it. The, in, like, the very, like the slight varying levels of inconsistency that like, it, some days it can be fucking mind blowing, you know? And then there's other days it's gonna be good. But I don't know if that's catching on yet. I, I don't know. Thank you so much to Nick Chenyan and our Canadian staff writer, Nick Rose. And thank you to Phil Domohofsky, my amazing podcast producer. I'm going to smell like wood smoke for the rest of my time here. But you know what? It was totally worth it. The next time you're in Toronto, you've got to stop by Smoke Signals and get some of Nick's barbecue. On the next episode of Bunchies, the podcast. Heather and I'm like literally sitting alone, drinking Ricard, you know, staring at fish all night hoping that they didn't die you know and it was i was pretty fucking stressed check back in two weeks for our next toronto episode when we'll be hanging out with the legendary fishmonger of johnville until then get all of our delicious munchies content over at munchies.tv hit us up at munchies on twitter instagram and facebook too and if you like the show show us some love by rating it on itunes because it actually does help us out Could you describe the scent of burning Canadian wood? Burning Canadian wood? Is that a euphemism? It's, it honestly is not. It's really not. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's, it's sweet.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.